morning, church. Um, I love Christmas time. Who, who else thinks Christmas is their favorite time of year? Absolutely. The lights, the presents, the music, the decorations, the carols, the holidays. What's not to love? But more importantly, infinitely more importantly, God himself coming to us, giving us his only son, a present like no other present that has ever been given. So it is so my privilege to share his word as we move through the Christmas series. Um, In Galatians, we've been asking the question, why did Jesus need to come? And as we delve into this passage, I really pray that God will remind us and reveal to us even more reasons to love Christmas and our Lord, who is the real reason why we celebrate it. So two weeks ago, um, Hanson walked us through Galatians 3, how Jesus is our curse breaker, how Jesus came to break our curse by becoming cursed for us. And then last week, Joe spoke about Jesus as the promised one that God had promised to send and how he is our promised keeper, how our heart's ultimate desires can only be fulfilled by him who made us for himself. And now we're going to continue in Galatians 3 to 4 to look at a new aspect of who Jesus is to us. And I want to focus in particular on Jesus as our Redeemer. So Paul is writing to the Galatian church because a group of Christian, Jewish Christians have come around um, trying to convince the non-Jewish Christians that they have to follow both the law and Jesus to be saved. And Paul is outraged. Paul, Paul is so outraged by this because it goes directly against the gospel, which is that we obtain righteousness or a right standing, right relationship with God by faith in Christ and not by our works. We don't and we never can earn our way into God's good books. And so Paul argues earlier in Galatians 3.16 that the original Abrahamic covenant was was always that righteousness would come through faith, which is why way back in the beginning, in Genesis 15.6, it says, And Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. So God declared Abraham righteous when he, Abraham, by faith believed what God said. And so Paul argues, continues to argue in verse 17 that the law, which came 430 years after Abraham, was actually a separate covenant with the Israelites, not an amendment to the original Abrahamic covenant. So it came as a guardian or like a protective fence to show the Israelites the right way to live and also to show us how consistently we cross the boundaries of the law and fail to live the way that we should. So the law was only set up as a guardian until there was a way through faith. And when Christ came, the guardian was no longer needed. So in chapter 2, uh, 21 of Galatians, Paul argues that if the law could set us right, then God, then Jesus wouldn't have had to die. And the key verse in this sermon is that in Galatians 4.45, where it says, But when the right time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. So there's a number of truths that I want to draw out for this section, and I'm going to ask six questions. I'm going to try not to be too long-winded. 
Um, so one, why do we need to be redeemed? That's the first question. And the Oxford Dictionary has a number of definitions about the word redeem. But the general idea is around making amends for something bad or paying a price to claim something or to clear a debt. And so the Bible is really saying that God sent his son to redeem us under the law. There's this idea of God paying a price for us, making amends for us, clearing a debt for us. But I think the barrier to us really understanding this in a biblical way is that in general, as a society, we do actually take sin too lightly. We live in a culture today where many of the things that God tells us are sinful are actually openly shared and celebrated. So where promiscuity and pornography is commonplace, where it's okay and acceptable and celebrated even to make yourself the centre of your own universe. In our society today, selfishness is celebrated under the guise of freedom. Being free means being able to do whatever you want, to follow your heart, leave a marriage if it makes you happy. If it, if it doesn't make you happy, it's okay as long as what you're doing makes you happy and you're following your heart. And sometimes we as Christians can invite this culture into our everyday lives with the things that we watch, with social media, Netflix, the internet. And sometimes as Christians, we lose sight of how God sees sin. And that's why sometimes we come to verses like Matthew 5, 29 to 30, where Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that the whole body be thrown to hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it would be better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go to hell. And we, we kind of listen to those verses and we think, he's just being a bit extreme. But in a way, we can kind of see that well, cutting off your arm, losing an arm is better than dying. But in general, we don't feel that way about sin. And there are lots of things that the Bible tells us about sin that we just don't take seriously. We don't take everything that the Bible teaches us about sin to heart. In Romans 14.23, it says, Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So if you're doing something out of a lack of faith in God, that is sin because what you're actually saying with your actions is that God is untrustworthy. In James 4.17, it says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So whenever you're not doing something that you know you should be, you're sinning against the Lord. It's this idea of living without reference to God, without submitting our actions to Him. Because when we don't treat God as God, we're making ourselves God, which was the original sin in Adam, in, of Adam and Eve in the garden. We forget that he made us and everything we have and everything we see, we owe to him. And we're not living according to his rules within his universe. Because sin is not original. It's not, it was not part of creation in the beginning. Just like how darkness is actually not any substance, but the absence of light. Sin is the absence of living according to how life should be lived. It's the opposite of life. And that's why the Bible says it always gives birth to death. That's in James 1.15. Because it goes against the way that God created life to be. 
And it's not until we really appreciate how serious sin is that we can really understand how much we owe to our Redeemer and how much we needed to be redeemed. Because the level of gratitude that we feel for someone who, say, saves us from falling over and bruising our knee by catching us before we trip, that, that kind of gratitude is a completely different level of gratitude to, someone we, to the gratitude that we feel for someone who has saved our lives or, you know, the life of our child at the cost of their own life. And that, again, should be completely different from the level of gratitude that we feel for someone who has rescued us and our family from eternal death by eternal fire. The Bible calls this the second death, and it's where the devil and his demons and everyone whose name is not written in the book of life will go. And that is how much we need redeeming. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. Without redemption, we're destined to be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord. That's Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 1.9. The Bible says, without Christ, we would still be children of wrath under the judgment of God. Because of our failure to live according to God's way, that is what we actually deserve. Because sin deserves to be punished and a just God cannot turn a blind eye. And nor does anyone who's ever really been subject to real suffering because of someone's sin ever want God to turn a blind eye. If you've ever lost a loved one or really suffered because someone else has done you wrong, you know that there's a debt that needs to be paid. There's this inherent sense of injustice that someone has done you wrong. And that sense is is a sense of justice that comes from our just God. And we may not feel it for the smaller sins, but but our sense of justice isn't as refined as God's sense of justice. Our most holy God cannot be one with evil and sin because of his goodness. Isaiah 59, 1-2 says, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, so he will not hear. But... This is where Galatians 3, 26 to 27 comes in. So in Jesus Christ, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ who clothed, all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. When we by faith clothe ourselves with Christ, God can come to dwell in our broken and selfish hearts and transform them from the inside out. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I know my own heart, and I know how much it needs to be redeemed. I know that the natural state of my own heart is selfishness and self-centeredness. At any point in my, t- in my life, God is always gently showing me areas where I could be more loving, more generous, less selfish, less self-centered, more Christ-like. And in my experience, if you're not hearing God asking you to work on something or, <laughs> or, or focus on something, it's probably because you're not listening hard enough. Because it is in his nature to bring life, which means he's always trying to pull us away from the sins, our sinful nature. It is in his nature to make things good and beautiful. 
And that is why goodness is one of the fruit of the Spirit. So the next question that I want to ask is, what did it take for us to be redeemed? For Emmanuel, God, to be with us? And the answer is, God did whatever it took. Leave heaven for a broken world? Done. Leave your glory to become human? Done. Leave riches to live in poverty? Done. Suffer rejection and injustice? Done. Live among sinful and selfish people? Done. Be mocked and beaten and betrayed? Done. Bleed out on a cross among criminals? Done. God did whatever it took to redeem us. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. And if we zoom out, it becomes even clearer the lengths that God went to to save us. When he separated Abraham from the rest of his kin and gave him the promises of blessing, that through his seed all nations would be blessed, the beauty of the plan is that in hindsight we can see why God did it this way. He chose a man who would willingly sacrifice his own son in obedience to God to be the ancestor from which God would end up sending his own son as a sacrifice. If God, and if God hadn't worked with the Israelites and taught them about himself for thousands of years, taught them about sin, about sacrifice, atonement, the shedding of blood, the forgiveness of sins, if he had not given them promises about the forever king, the promised one from the line of David, the virgin birth, the suffering servant, we would never have recognised Jesus as the Messiah when he came to save. You can see the lengths that God went to because you can see the end from the beginning. Eric Raymond, pastor of Redeemer Church in Boston, writes, God is sovereign and he's been laying the tracks for the glory of Christ throughout redemptive history. It's not just in the echoes of Abraham and in his life. But in Joseph's life, who like, David, who, like Jesus, was mocked by his family, sold for pieces of silver, stripped of his robe, delivered up to the Gentiles, was falsely accused, who was faithful amid temptation. We can see it in the life of Jonah, who offered himself up for the sailors, saying, throw me into the water and the, and the storm will stop. He didn't know that the fish was coming. He was saying, I'll die so that you will be safe. And in the life of Moses, who said to God, save the Israelites, Lord, even if it means blotting out my name from the book of life. This is why um, Sally Lloyd-Jones, who's the author of the Jesus Storybook Bible, can say, every story whispers his name. There are echoes of Jesus all throughout history because God was paving the way. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. God was paving the way for the virgin to conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God did whatever it took because nothing was and nothing is more important to him than loving you, redeeming you, 
drawing you close to himself and bringing the best that he has for you, even if it meant a thousand years of laying down foundations, even if it meant setting aside his kingship to become a servant, even when it meant an excruciating death on a bloodstained cross to take on all the sins of the world. My dear church, because God did whatever it took, because Christ came at Jesus, uh, Christ came at Christmas to live the life and die the death that was set out for him, we, we can know that we are so truly and deeply loved because this is what he means in John 3.16 when he said he had so loved the world that he gave his only son so that all who believed in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Christmas shows us that you and I, we are his beloved and we can walk through each day secure in this knowledge because for our sake, he made him to be no He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is what Christ has done for us. From deserving of wrath and death to to becoming beloved children, becoming more beautiful every day and treasured forever. So the third question I want to ask is, how has our relationship with the Lord changed now that we are redeemed? As a redeemed people, we don't do good works to be saved. We do good works because we are saved. The proof of our salvation is that as we are empowered by the Spirit, God changes our hearts to want to obey, to do good. Not because we're trying to make God owe us, but because we want to please Him out of love for Him. And as John Piper writes, and I paraphrase, the law, instead of being a ladder that we need to climb up to heaven... They become tracks for us to follow, to live a life that pleases him. And out of love for him, we fulfill the law. This is why in Romans 13, it says, whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. This is why Jesus says in Matthew 22, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments, to love God with all our heart and our neighbours as ourselves. This is what James means when he says, faith without works is dead. A living faith always shows itself in fruitfulness and in goodness. It reveals itself in the spirit, bringing life and love and patience and kindness and peace and faithfulness and self-control. Those saved by the Lord are always being brought to more and more of these things by his spirit. So my dear church, if, if you're not seeing that fruit in yourself, You probably need to work on submitting yourself to him more, spending more time with him. Because as I've said before, the Christian walk is is not about forcing ourselves to do good. It's about spending so much time in his presence that we become good. Because we love him more. We want more to please him. We want less to do the things that will hurt him. And we are empowered more to fight the sin in our lives because we want to because we understand the debt that we owe to him and how much he paid to save us. So the next question is, what does it mean for us to be redeemed? So not only are we redeemed from wrath and eternal suffering and death, which are all good things, but in Jesus, we find freedom 
freedom from having to earn our own righteousness, to justify ourselves. You know, the world tells us you better make something of yourself, otherwise you'll be a nobody. But the redeemed know that we are already somebody. We know that we are his. And we find freedom as we rest in his righteousness and recognize that we are sinners saved by grace. And further than that, Galatians 4, 5 says that we receive the adoption to sonship. Now, I talked a little bit about adoption to sonship a few months ago, but I think it is worth repeating very quickly. That Paul, one, Paul uses the word sonship very deliberately because daughters did not inherit in those days, which means he wanted to make sure that all believers knew that male or female, they're all heirs. So we didn't just go from being slaves to free people and escaping the death penalty. We went from being slaves to children of the king. We went from slavery to royalty. Such is the generosity and the kindness of our God. There is no one like the God that we serve. We went from children of wrath to children of God. And I, and I spoke also a few weeks, a few months ago about what it means to be a child of God, but I will just very, very quickly recap. One, being a child of God means that we are family to God. It is an unbreakable bond and our place in his heart is unshakable. Two, being a child of God means that we are his beloved, incredibly special, unbelievably loved. As it says in the song, Belovedness by Sarah Cogger, his love for us is fierce and unending, and we need to own how beloved we are. We need to let it speak louder than the other voices that are trying to tell us what we are worth, including our own voice in our head. We need to walk every day on this earth knowing that we are his beloved and to wear that knowledge on our hearts and in our minds. Number three, being a child of God means we are powerful, God has sent his spirit into our hearts and we can access that spirit who had the power to raise Christ from the dead. Number four, being a child of God means that we have nothing to worry about. We have an almighty and sovereign good father who is willing and able to take care of us. So we never have to worry about whether we suffer for no reason or that we won't have a happy ending at the end of our story. And related to this, number five, being a child of God means the best is yet to come. Galatians 4, 7 says we become heirs of God. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 7 that the, the meek will inherit the earth. And one day we'll have God fully for ourselves. Which leads me to the fifth question. How has our relationship with God changed now that we are redeemed? So our whole approach to God changes because there's no need for works. We are free to come to him as father and invest time into a father-child relationship, submitting to his authority as obedient children, but also resting in him. We can lie peacefully at his feet and trust him to lead us to still waters and green pastures. Trust him with our lives and with our futures. 
We can approach life with confidence knowing that our Heavenly Father is faithful. And our relationship with God should be one that is filled with gratitude for all that He has done, he has done for us. We should be less likely to approach God with a view of what we deserve. Whether it's a, good, a healthy body, a good life, a good partner, a good career, a good house, there should be more submission to His will and what he chooses for us. Because, so it should make us more grateful and also more content. Because everything good that we have is actually so much more than we deserve. And everything bad that happens to us is actually less than we really deserve. Because we never deserve the good in the first place. Understanding how much we needed redemption should mean that we are less likely to complain about our circumstances because we come to better understand that God owed us nothing, but he gave us everything. He owes us nothing and we owe him everything. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that I go through life without complaining or being perfectly and and peacefully submitted to his will. God knows that we're not there yet. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't bring our thoughts and feelings and whatever else we're struggling with to him. We should. But we should be catching ourselves when, we're, when we find ourselves thinking this way. When we find ourselves thinking about what we think we deserve and remembering that God saved us from what we truly deserved at an enormous price and cost to himself. And this leads me to my last question, which is how do we see each other as redeemed? Galatians says we are all heirs. The defining commonality that should define all our relationships with each other is that we are one in Christ. Verse 28 says there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The other differences should not matter. Paul is not saying that there is no difference. He's not saying that being male is the same as being female. But what he is saying is there is no barrier to Christ, no matter who you are and what you've done. Because we are all heirs of God in Christ. We are all his and he has beautiful promises for us all. Which means there is no need to compare ourselves to each other. You know, I, um, I very clearly remember having a breakthrough moment when I realised that me comparing myself to others meant that I didn't trust God to give me the things that I thought I should have. The talents that I wanted to have, the opportunities that I wanted to have, the life that I thought I should have. And when God revealed this to me, there was so much freedom because I can trust him to give me the things that I should have, the talents that I should have, the life that I should have. I should trust him to give give me the things that he wants to give me, because I trust in his wisdom and his choices for me. We can trust God to make us all beautiful in the way that he chooses to. And it doesn't mean that we'll all be beautiful in the same way, but we will all be beautiful like Christ is beautiful, but in our own ways. This is what he promises in Ephesians 4.13 when he talks about giving the church different gifts so that we all 
reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This is what he means in 2 Corinthians 3.18 when he says, We all with unveiled faces are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. One day we will all be fully beautiful in every way, not only because we have been saved by faith, but because our sanctification would have been completed and we will share in his glory. So my dear church, may we know the joy of being redeemed. May we trust our good Father with everything and love him with all our hearts because he did whatever it took to find us. He proves himself faithful time and time again. He is love and love always wants what is best for his beloved. My dear church, may you own how beloved you are May God just reveal that to you. There is nothing more important to him than than connecting to you. And and Christmas proves it to us. So, yeah, let's just end with a word of prayer. Thank you, God. You are so good. And we just thank you for Christmas. And all the things that you did over all of history to come and find us. Thank you, Lord for doing whatever it took. In your name, Jesus, we pray.